Hello, Hyrule! Welcome to episode 18 of Hello, Hyrule, the premier Legend of Zelda travelogue podcast. We are your tour guides. My name is Pete. My name is Chris, and if it sounds like I'm bringing a different type of energy to the podcast today, it's because I have switched out my typical routine of drinking a coffee at nine o'clock at night when we're recording <laughs> uh, with a uh, matcha tea, which I'm just now noticing is green like the stamina potions in Skyward Sword. So that's a fun little coincidence. Hmm. I, does matcha have like a caffeine in it or? It has probably a smaller amount of caffeine than my like typical glass of black coffee at this point which is like your fifth cup of coffee at that point of the day right yes this is me trying to be a little bit healthier by only drinking four cups of coffee and one <laughs> cup of tea well chris uh you might want to hold off on that because you're about to go like we're on vacation of course but where we're going you can basically just have whatever you want we're going on a cruise baby would I not want tea because we're going on a cruise? Yeah, you can. Don't people indulge? I've never been on a cruise, but don't people indulge themselves a lot on cruises and stuff? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably be drinking the good stuff. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to recap us really quick. So last we left off, we were seeking out the three sacred flames to enhance our goddess sword when we came across an ancient robot blessed with a big mustache and an even bigger heart named Skipper. I love Skipper so much. Yeah, I love Skipper. Skipper's ship housed Nehru's flame, but unfortunately for us, it had been taken over by pirates and our feathered robot friend was forced to walk the plank. We traveled the Nehru Sand Sea searching for clues at uh, Skipper's house, at the local amusement park, at the <laughs> nearby shipyard, and even at the pirate's very own stronghold, but we had no luck. We were just about ready to give up hope completely when we stumbled upon the sunken mast of Skipper's ship, giving us exactly what we need to douse for the ship in the past. So we took our new dowsing point, we cannonball blasted the invisible cloaking mechanism right off of that ship, and we boarded this boat, which just so happens to be our next dungeon. Now, okay, putting aside for a moment that, like, you make the ship visible with cannon fire, you're not shooting the ship down. That's impossible. Yeah. But can you imagine for a minute that, like, if Skipper had not gotten mutinied, because I'm pretty sure that Hylia could not have been aware that this protector of this flame was going to be mutinied by one of his own, right? I don't think that it was intended that this iteration of Link was going to have to fight a mutineering pirate captain who is a robot also. I mean, it's the that's the thing we keep getting to of like the goddess can predict only so much like the goddess can't predict the fact that all of these people are kind of getting sabotaged. But like we've said in previous episodes, like something that I love about the dungeons or like other locations in this game where it's like there's stuff that is clearly planned for you, but sometimes like other people or nature or whatever, like interferes with that and you kind of have to roll with the punches. Yeah. But in any case, sand ship. Have we said that word at all th during this recording yet? We're in sand ship. Sand ship. So there are no new enemies in this dungeon. Right. So it's just like Arachna, Beemos, Electrospume, Redbocoblin, Bacoblin. Sorry, I don't know why I pronounced it. <laughs> Robocoblins. Robocoblins, Technocoblins, and Thunderkeys. Dunder Cheap. Thunderkeys, Dunder Cheap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to hear that song now. Uh, but yeah, do, you, do we want to talk about like what this location just in general strokes kind of looks like the aesthetic of the sand strip i mean i don't have a whole lot to offer as far as like the exterior appearance of it like it kind of vaguely has a face like built into the hole like a whole lot of other structures out in uh Lanayru have mm -hmm. but it's it's less defined than other places yeah this is just a big old wooden ship when we board it Yes, and I'm glad that you bring up that it's made of wood, because right away I have a point that was in my notes. 
that regardless of how many like thousands, let's say years uh, between this mutiny and uh, your arrival, this simple wooden ship has stayed in good condition for a very impressive amount of time. I was actually going to mention something very similar to that. So last episode, we saw a mast underneath the sea which you convinced me was Skipper's ship. And I thought that was a great explanation. But when you enter this boat, you are in the present. The present day version of this ship is this eroded, wooden, dampy ship. Oh, that's true. Right? So so this is... Then what was the sunken ship before? Again, I think this is a product of we spend way too long talking about <laughs> these areas on this podcast. Because I, I think it was supposed to be that. Hmm. <gasps> I might have a theory. I might have a theory, Chris. Okay, I'll, I'll take I'm, it. What is I'm it? gonna hold on to it to the end. Oh, I wish you wouldn't do that. <laughs> uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It might be good or it might be lousy, but it's 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 a big one. All right. Well, I'm gonna be thinking about it until then. Anyway, so yeah, we kind of hinted at it, but there is a present and past element to this dungeon, just as there is that element to every Lanayru map. Oh, of course. That was a foregone conclusion. <laughs> I actually had like a cool trajectory with this dungeon where like the first time it stressed me and frustrated me. Okay. It's not a very combat heavy dungeon. It's very much like a puzzle focused dungeon. So it's like. Oh, this is puzzle boat big time. Yeah. So there's a lot of like enter a room, look around. You can't do anything. Go to a different time period. Go back in this room. There might be something to do. Mm hmm. And I think like the first time I did it, it just kind of puzzled me a bit more than in my comfort zone. But the second and third times I did this dungeon, I was like eagerly anticipating this. And I had a blast (laughs) playing this both those times because, again, there's like minimal combat throughout this dungeon. And it's so condensed, like all the rooms and everything, like you can get from the topmost point to the bottommost point of this dungeon in a few minutes. Like if you kind of know what you need to do, it's pretty fun. I'm glad to hear you say that, Chris, because like this was my second time going through this dungeon. And I don't know, maybe it's because like I didn't play it for maybe a decade or so. But according to my notes, I was lost almost like 80% of the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that checks out with my first playthrough of it. A lot of it, a lot of it is not clear for the first time you're here. Yes, but once you know the structure of it, it's very clear. It's it's like a weird thing. But Chris, understand what you're what you're saying essentially is once you know it, you know it. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there's a novelty to that, like especially in in these games where there's like usually a normal mode and then like a a secondary mode for you to play after you play it. I think you know, it's valid for like there to be a large portion of people who play through these games at least twice. Well, I have a point that I'd like to get to, but first we got to make it through the mid boss. Okay. <laughs> so we'll, we'll put that on the shelf as well. So we now have two things queued up that you're going to. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm building up a, a backlog here. All right. So we go from the deck to the interior of the ship and there's a save point here and a stool. Something that sticks out to me is there are a ton of stools in this dungeon like there are so many resting points are there yeah like there are more here than in most other dungeons i think i can remember only two i think like one like one is by the entrance and the other is by the boss door yeah yeah but I think it's, again, There, each floor isn't very large. So to have one per floor, I think there might be a third one on the bottom, but I'm not 100% sure. But it just feels like there's always one close by. So like if you're low on health, it's always easy enough to run back to a stool and sit down. Well, you don't want to just be standing up all day on this boat. I mean, granted, the ancient robots that worked here don't have legs. So they, I guess, who are the seats for? Well, I would imagine the ancient robots were like the staff and the ship housed other people, maybe? Oh, okay. Oh, that's even worse, isn't it? By this point, their bones would just be gone, so... Oh, I mean, yeah, I guess that's that's a grim possibility. Or maybe not, actually. When you first come onto this boat, you're going to notice right away on the deck... There are bokoblin bones lying around. 
that should be the first thing to tip you off that uh, there's going to be some time travel shenanigans in here. Mm -hmm. But no other bones of other creatures. So I suppose that isn't the case unless they, you know, jumped ship. Yeah, I mean, this thing has been sunken for quite some time. So or has it been sunken, Chris? I I don't know. We can't we can't keep going around (laughs) circles there. So there's this room right down the stairs that I found very interesting because it has like this rectangular room with a corridor adjacent to it. And it just has like a sink sand pit right in the center of it with a electro spume. Yeah, this is close to the entrance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, first of all, I I really like the idea that, again, this isn't like a sunken ship necessarily, but like, I guess the idea would be that it's sunken at least to some extent and sand would have gotten into the ship. The interior of this place is all brown and eroded. It's all just like kind of grimy. It looks like a place that you should not stay for too long because there's probably mold on the other side of these wooden boards. Would there be? I mean, this is all like, well, then again, this originally sailed back when it was a water ocean or when it was a water sea, not a sand sea. So I suppose if mold somehow survived, it's probably the most deadly of all. A water ocean. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) So as we kind of push our way through, there are like hallways filled with arachna, which is kind of a cool- Araka. Is it Araka or? Oh, yeah, it is Araka. But yeah, Arakas don't really pose a threat. They're just like a thing that you shake off and get some like rupees or maybe hearts. Yeah. Any small damage you're going to get from these guys, you can pretty much replenish it right away. So NBD. And right after the Araka hallway, we see the boss door with some barbed wire in front of it. So like, as you were saying, there were signs of uh, bones, like Bokoblin bones. Right. This is like the second sign of, oh, there's going to be time shifting soon because we've seen this barbed wire before. If it wasn't clear just from the offset, because Phi also does talk to you once you run into this. It's like, oh, yeah, these chains, these, uh, these sure are important chains. This must be an important door. And all I could think at that point <laughs> is like, fine, we passed at least two other doors that were chained up. Those were not important. Like she specifies the chains. Oh, no, you're right. Yeah, that there are multiple chained up doors that need to be time shifted through. But the boss door is like always noticeably larger than any other door frame. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But like we've seen so many at this point that, you know, we slash Link would have figured that out. You know yeah, what I mean? she knows the deal. This is the fifth dungeon. <laughs> Come on, get with it. Uh, there's also like another wheel door lock puzzle as we enter the Briggs and the bottom floor. I think it's like the third floor down. Is that the one where it's like you're trying to bust out all the robots or? So it's the room where you bust out the robots in the past, but in the present, it's similar to the ancient sister in the first puzzle in the ancient right. sister. Right. It's a Simon Says door. It's a Simon Says door, right? So you have the Simon Says game locking up the door. You notice these two galvers on the wall, like these ship wheels. Excuse me, Chris, how do you know the word galver? Galvern. Uh, I'm sorry, a galver is a... Uh, ship wheel. I know because I looked up what is a ship wheel call when researching this episode. <laughs> oh, well, you got me beat there. Asked and answered. So, like, they both have, like, this red outline on the northern part of the Galvers. This kind of indicates, like, okay, you're going to see Galvers throughout this room. Mm-hmm. And the red part is the northern part wherever you see it. So you start, you you get your reverse vacuum. I want to make sure I have that nice and clear on the recording. Mm-mm. And you breeze, uh, you clean the floor, and you see some additional Galvers on the floor, each of which have, like, a direction highlighted. And they also each have a part of the outline uh, that is highlighted red. So, like, they're both indicating which part of these Galvers is north and which direction do you have to hit. Right. It's it's a standard Skyward Sword puzzle. Like, they, they kind of hand the answer to you on a silver platter. Mm-hmm. And the answer is Duder, down, up, down, right. And we <laughs> unlock a door uh, that uh, has a treasure chest with a small key here. Uh, we're going to bring it all the way back to the beginning of the ship, uh, right when we enter the interior from the deck. And this is the first mini-boss, Skurvo.
LD002G Skurvo. If you're nasty. I looked up a little bit about that. Apparently that name, the uh, the code name, came from the uh, European version. Right. Yes. I will say the name Skurvo, top notch. I think I said this last episode. Top notch name for a robot pirate. I dig the heck out of that. In a game filled with good portmanteaus, this is a great portmanteau for sure. Do you want to give a physical description of this bad boy? This is Hook, but a robot. You think this looks like Captain Hook? I think it's supposed to look like Captain Hook a little bit. He's got a hook arm. He does have a hook. He's got long <laughs> black hair. Does he? Uh-huh. I mean, it's kind of like a wig, like a judge's wig. Okay, listen, don't judge this robot's capabilities of growing hair. Whether he pays for it or I, it's his own mane, that is his hair. I'm just saying the hat ain't quite hook. The hook's like five times the size of hooks. Oh, yeah. You know, he's got like black and white striped Beetlejuice pants that tuck into his cowboy boots. He's like... He <laughs> he's got like a keyblade looking sword also. You know, the way that it's notched in this picture, yeah, a little bit. Although it looks more like it's a, uh, just like a broken beam or something attached to a, a hilt. Maybe. But yeah, I think it's supposed to be like a generic mix of like Blackbeard and Captain Hook mixed with a robot. Well, sure. You're going to have the robot aesthetic, uh, which by the way, you notice on his hat, he's got the uh, the little robot pirate symbol, which I dig a lot. The, the robo skull. Yeah, it's very cute. I would I would wear a shirt with that. I mean, sure. Why not? Also, also his general like vibe, his general like color scheme. Well, it's kind of it's all over the place. It's kind of actually like coherent with Lanayru. It's red, blue, white, gold, black. Like that's Lanayru mining facility when we go to the past. That's true. And I will note also, he has a second like key rapier thing uh, on his side, which I don't think he uses in this fight. He 100% uses it in this fight. I stand corrected. He uses it in this fight. This is a multi-phase fight. And each time you beat a phase, you break a part of Skurvo. So first you break his hook hand, then you break his sword, and then he pulls out the second sword and parries you back. That's pretty cool that you can just bust him up like in each stage. Mm -hmm. And by the way, like this dude does also have like some bone aesthetic going on. He's got like a little bit of a skull thing going on in his face, but also you can see some like gold ribs under his shirt. Yeah, that's cool. I don't really understand that. Like, who is that for? I, <laughs> I'm really not sure. It's almost like this dude, I mean, unless he did some self-modification after the mutiny, because remember, this dude used to work under Scrapper and mutinied him. This is the king of the pirates. This is a malicious no. robot. This is the <laughs> malicious robot. Nah, I was tempted just a moment ago to make a One Piece reference, but I ain't doing it. You ain't Do baiting it. me like that, Chris. You ain't oh. baiting me like that. <laughs> No. I wouldn't understand it, but there would be someone out there who would appreciate it. By the way, number one detail above all of this is that he is the only robot on this boat that is humanoid shaped. Okay? So I have to wonder, what was his job? He worked under Scrapper and uh, he like had enough of a self-awareness to mutiny him. Under Scrapper? Oh, Scrapper. No. Dang it. These little robot babies have like all similar names. Yeah. But he worked under Skipper. I mean, even Fi will tell you this, that he worked under Skipper and he mutinied. He did a mutiny. Oh, I get it, though. I get it, though. Because look, these ancient robots love the way ancient robots look. They build architecture based on the way ancient robots look. True. They have wall paintings. They have alcoves that are all the ancient robot face. Yeah, he's not on brand. <laughs> this one robot was built differently, and he was probably made fun of because of that nonstop. <laughs> Who do you think was making fun of him? The little robots? Yeah, all the other ancient robots probably teased him nonstop. I'm not so sure about that. A lot of these a lot of these little robot babies, they are very job oriented. They don't really talk about a lot other than what their task is. It's like I don't think like, okay, time for a regular a regulatory work break, time to go make fun of Scurvo. Listen, you work at any job long enough and you're gonna start talking about the other people you work with. And I have <laughs> no doubt in my mind that those robots were teasing Scurvo. And that's what led to this uprising. This this need to finally have 
everyone's approval and uh, to have them respect him. So, okay, so he's got a Starscream thing going on. He he did a Starscream. I don't know what that, yes. Chris, child of the 80s and 90s, how dare you? <laughs> but yeah, okay, so we've, we've belabored the point here. You have yourself a little, like, fencing fight here with old Skurvo on a big old long plank, which I assume is, you know, the plank. Yeah, so this is likely where uh, our good friend Skipper probably was booted off of. I really like this because I really like shield bashing. <laughs> like, that's what this is, right? Like, you two inch towards each other, you wait for an opening, and then you want to stab at him to poke him backwards towards the edge of the plank. Sure. And that is made infinitely easier if you time a shield bash so that every time it swings at you, you parry it. It waves its arms back, completely disheveled, and you have like an opening. I'm not sure if you need to shield bash on that, because I, I distinctly recall just blocking. Sure. You could just block, but I mean, if you shield bash, you have a like a few seconds to actually just get right in there. Well, I'll say this. I'm, I'm about to frustrate you, Chris, because I, I handled this in my barbarian tactile way where I just mashed on him over and over again. I mean, if you can read his movements, you can get the hits in before he hits. Okay, yes. I have no doubt that you could mash on any boss in this game and get through it. All I'm saying <laughs> is if you ever replay this game with the remaster, just keep your heart open to shield bashing because I think you'll actually have a lot of fun with it. I'll tell you this, Chris. I uh, actually did shield bash a little bit in this game okay right right at the end <laughs> <laughs> oh you kind of have to don't you you kind of have you're kind of <laughs> obligated to yeah yeah okay that's not the best example of it being fun to shield bash <laughs> for what it's worth anyway i don't want to shame anyone for how they play games you just want to push this guy back off three times. Every time you kind of push him off the plank, he breaks one of multiple things on his body. Right. And he pushes Link back. He always like, like Link always jumps back a little bit. But then like when the camera cuts back to you, you're all the way back on the other side of the plank, <laughs> which is something I noticed every time I did this boss fight. It, it's a clunky way to try and reset the match so that like you still have to run up to him. It's very weird. This kind of like shows some poor planning on Skurbo's part, doesn't it? Yeah, being on that side of the plank? Why be on that side of the plank? Yeah, don't you want to be the guy, like, who's pushing someone off the plank? Like, you walk through that door and Skurbo's like, yar, you'll never push me off the plank, just try. <laughs> yeah, like, he should have just gotten the jump on us from behind and pushed us off. That would have been the thing, because you know, like, with this kind of video game, like, you see a long plank there and no nothing's stopping you. I, personally, would go up the plank and see what's going on. Like, they're letting me go there yeah for sure anyway we beat him and a treasure chest comes down and we get the weapon for this dungeon which is the bow <laughs> it doesn't have like a special name or anything like that just the bow it's just the bow i think okay well here's the bow time to throw away those slingshots folks because they are now irrelevant you have a vastly superior weapon yeah i actually have the same note the one thing I will say about the slingshot is it's a good way to not waste an arrow. Like if you have something like a switch you want to hit quickly and you maybe don't want to use one of your arrows because like you can get expansions to like how many arrows you can keep. But who wants to use up a spot in your inventory for that stuff? Oh, I do. Do you? Oh, yeah, because they hit way farther and they hit way harder. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you upgrade them, especially those things go far and they do a lot of damage. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I pretty much didn't use slingshots unless something was like super close by or if I didn't want to waste a bow. Or if a puzzle required it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's like a thing with the Wii motion controls also where... You hold the controller. I forget what it's called at this point. It's not a Joy-Con. Joy-Con's a Switch, right? <laughs> the the Wii Motion Plus. The Wii Motion Plus. And wherever you point it is where Link is aiming. It's like in first person. You can use the D-pad down to reorient. Thank God. Thank the goddesses, let me tell you. Yeah, this is the best implementation of, of this one thing. So wherever you're pointing, when you hit down on the D-pad, that becomes center. So any motion you do after that, it'll pretend that initial calibration is the center. It's necessary, too, because honestly, I, I dug the Wii Motion Plus mechanics in this game, but they were far from perfect. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was very useful here. You can also use the C button to pull 
which I learned when there's a mini game involving the bow and I think Pippin. No, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about Fledge's. Uh, oh, Fledge, Fledge, yeah. Fledge's nightmare contest with the bow and arrow. I don't want to talk about it, Chris. But at that point, I needed to be able to pull my bow out quicker. And so if you press C on the nunchuck, he pulls the bow out very quick and then you can like flick it to like shoot the bow. I, th- I guess it's supposed to emulate the backhand part of actually firing a bow and arrow, which is kind of cool. I barely used it though. Oh yeah. It's a little, like a lot of interesting uh, motion mechanics. It's neat a few times, but it's not efficient. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you play this on the Switch, it's all just the right thumbstick. It's so easy peasy and buttery smooth. <laughs> I wish. I'm so jealous, Chris. You'll You'll get there. <laughs> So as soon as you get the bow, uh, you get like a little cutscene showing these blue orbs that are all over the ship. And Phi tells you, oh, some new areas of the boat are now available to us because we can hit these with our bow. All right. There's point number one from Pete. Okay. Uh, Pete's points. (laughs) Pete's points number one. Pete's points. Is that uh, Phi actually does have to tell you to hit these things. It was not clear to me from the start. Really? Yeah. These things are like blue bullseyes. They're not bullseyes in my eye. They they just look like blue orbs. Okay, fair enough. You know, it could mean basically anything at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's why Fi actually has some dialogue there letting you know. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes Chris, I need the hand-holding. I need Daddy Nintendo to hold my <laughs> hand in these trying times. There's no shame in that. So we're going back to the deck. We're going to shoot the arrow orb. I don't know what to call these things. I'm going to just call them arrow orbs because that's kind of what they are. Yeah. You shoot an arrow orb on the deck. It reveals a time shift stone atop the mast of the ship. Mm -hmm. And like you see a bokoblin come back to life and immediately turn this uh, power generator turnstile thing. Yeah. That locks the time shift stone up so you cannot hit it back again and shift back to the present. You're stuck in the past until you solve that puzzle. Unless you have zip lines, Chris. Aha. You've got plenty of like uh, uh, mechanical upward zipline machines that are hanging out around here that will take you from different decks. It'll take you up from different masts from the tops of different sails. Each way, you're just nailing uh, Bokoblins in this place, most of which you can just nail from one position. Once you get like high up one level, you can more or less take all of them out, which feels really good. Yeah. So as we mentioned, this really isn't a combat heavy section. So this is just like, hey, have fun sniping these things. Like it's not very difficult. I had a note that made me laugh when I was getting ready for this episode, which I don't know what state of mind I was in, but it's a single line separate from everything else that just says, I live, underlined live, I live to snipe these pig idiots. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I know that feeling. I think that like this was one of the motion control gestures that they had down when they were, you know, developing the game. I think it's something that we've seen since the Wii's implementation. So I think at this point, especially with the Motion Plus, they were able to just master the kind of feel for it. I think this is one of the better feeling items in the game. It's not terribly exciting because it's just a bow at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It's just the bow. I mean, it's an item you're guaranteed to get in a Zelda game. But in any case, so the rest of the dungeon is twisty turny, a lot of puzzles. I got lost a bunch of times because you're going in and out of the ship from different ways. You got to go down the lifeboats to a different deck up the lifeboats from there like it's a lot of like go to the past go to the present to activate different doors because similarly to the pirate stronghold uh there's a lot of doors that are either blocked by electricity in the past or blocked by barbed wires in the present so like you're just shifting back and forth the good news is once you have control over the time shift stone at the top of the mast you have in almost every single room the ability to fire the bow through a ceiling window or something similar to that and time shift the whole ship around you. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. So this kind of reminded me of some of the 2D Zelda games. It's this sort of idea of if there's a light so deliberately shining through into the room, it wants you to think about, oh, how do I utilize this? And if you just look in first person out there, you'll see the time shift stone. Yeah, sometimes it's a little finicky, like you're not going to have a perfect line of sight on it but you know most of the time it's good 
Mm-hmm. Another thing to mention really quick, now that we're shifting to the past, the past is like this really nice refurbished version of this ship. It's like got the Lanayru mining facility colors all around it. So like white, blue, yellow, red. They pulled out all the stops for my boy Skipper. Like he... <laughs> it's a beautiful ship. He was a fancy robot baby in charge of a fancy robot baby ship. A fancy robot baby ship, indeed. But and yeah, like you mentioned, there's like a support boat on the side of the ship that you can like now knock down a couple of levels, um, which will set you up for a nice puzzle later. The only way that you can move the boat, though, is to hit this like eye switch that is on it with the bow. Yeah, we want to shoot that smaller support boat down. We go back into the sand ship and that like previously sink sandy room now has like a nice, beautiful floor. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got the the four doors there. You kind of make your way in and out of those doors. Like this is where a bulk of the puzzles are that you, you mentioned a minute ago. Right. There's a lot of like, you know, if you're in the present when everything is dilapidated, there will be fans that are out of commission. So you want to like shoot an arrow past the fan blades as they're not moving. But like if you're in the present, they'll be moving and blocking stuff. There's a lot of standing on switches to open up little doors and then yep. shooting through a tiny hole at a perfect angle. There's a lot of that because, you know, it, it's a fixed position that you have to aim from, which I think is a clever way to make that happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know how anyone navigated this ship without a bow and arrow, but I mean, that's fine. I mean, if you if you're working with multiple people who can operate different switches for you, then it's not that bad, I assume. They also have like detached arms, like their arms kind of float away from their body. So good point. There's a point where we go into these rooms where there are power generators that we want to stick our sword in and turn the power generators on. Yep. Some more of those. Yeah. They activate these pistons in the past on the bottom floor of the ship. Now, the bottom floor is kind of where I kind of lost my during this dungeon. Like, I don't know what it was about it, but I got turned around in that place a few times. I actually left and came back a couple times. If you don't have all three generators, you kind of can't progress through it. Right. So like there are three power generators, you you get two of them and then you go to the bottom floor and you talk to uh, one of Skipper's men who was being held captive in the past and he tells you you need a third power generator. Here's where it is. And he shows you where to go for it. I'm glad that you bring these uh, the little jail boys up, Chris, because I had to wonder, is this the remainder of Skipper's crew? Like the full remainder? That's a good question, because when we go to Skipper's house, we see a picture of like 50 ancient robots. Yes. Yeah. And there are three, I think, down here. I think that's right. Yeah. So (laughs) I don't know the logistics of a mutiny, but like how many joined Skurvo in the mutiny and like, were it just these three that like resisted and they got put in the brig? I don't know. We also don't see any of the robots that would have joined Skurvo at any point, right? I, I might be able to explain that part, actually. Please do. After you beat Skurvo, Phi makes a point of saying that she's impressed that he was still operational after all this time. You know, admire the craftsmanship that lasted as long as she has, you know? And uh, if this dude has been commanding the ship this whole time, presumably he also had the rest of the mutiny crew with him. Yes? Sure. If Skurvo is a dude whose programming predicates him for betrayal, then that would suggest to me that he probably killed the rest of the crew that joined him. For what reason, though? That's just what that's just what Skurvo do. Oh, Skurvo betrays. <laughs> that's his job. Maybe I would like to think that like 25 plus little ancient robots weren't massacred. Nope. They're probably at the bottom of that sand sea, mister. Oh, that's OK. Well, anyway, we're going to make our way through the uh, fully powered up bottom floor of this ship. So we kind of like time ourselves because there are these large pistons. Once we've hit all the power generators, we go underneath them as they're up. Easy peasy stuff. There's like a little secret down here also. Did you catch this when you played? What's the secret? There's like an area where you're supposed to whip over to a piston. But if you look to the right, there is a hole in the wall. And if you whip into it, there's just like five treasure chests in a row. Oh, yes. Five chests with like rupees and crafting materials. I think it's random-ish. It wasn't all that impressive, the stuff inside in my run. The the number one thing, though, about this string of five treasure chests, it's not small treasure chests. 
Yeah. Each one is a big one that has, it is accompanied by the full treasure chest music. Yeah. Five in a row. Back to back, it is the funniest thing in the world to me. Yeah. It, it almost feels like it's played comedically here. Uh, the final set of pistons that we need to jump over require us to like whip up to the top of a piston and then we're on top of it and we have to time our jump on top of other pistons. So just like little puzzles based on the pistons. Uh, after this, we're going to get to the brig and free Skipper's shipmates. So this is a weird thing because when we get here, there's just one shipmate left. Granted, we opened the door. So I guess the idea is that the other two could have escaped. That's kind of what I was thinking. So, okay. So this guy tells us, oh, you're going to need to regain control of the ship if you want to reveal Nehru's flame. You need to navigate to the captain's cabin, which is where the control room key is. Right. And he gives us a key to get into the captain's cabin. But like, then he says like, sorry, I'm getting out of here. And it's like, where is he going? (laughs) Where does he, where do you think you're, I mean, okay, he doesn't know what's going on to, in his mind, this is the past. Yeah. So, I mean, Link could tell him like, listen, you've got to stay in this perimeter. Otherwise you will die and sink to the bottom of the sea. Yeah. But Chris, what would your reaction be if someone told you that? It's like, oh no, no, don't, don't leave the ship. You're actually dead. So- Okay, it's a difficult conversation to have. I'm not denying that. But I mean, would you rather just let him sink to the bottom of the ocean? You have to go back and talk to Skipper at the end of this. I mean, I'm sure that once they get where they're going, they're going to run into Skipper, right? He'll set him straight. I hope so. But I don't know what that means. Like, where where does he go then? That's a solid question. Again, like, there's a time shift aura here. Like, it's not like he could just go somewhere. Skipper tragically is kind of tied to the boat now, like not yeah. the sand ship, but his little skiff that you you rode around in last episode. Exactly, which is why I just find it weird that this guy's like, "Listen, I gotta make my escape." Like, buddy, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> anyway, so we make our way to the captain's cabin, which is you go outside the deck. It's on the far east side of the boat. Captain's cabin is essentially a series of small rooms that are puzzles similar to what we've been doing this whole time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Time shifting back and forth, activating a few, you know, switches. There are some Beemos that we're going to fight. There are some Bacoblins. But at the end of the day, we're going to get the boss key. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this dungeon can really be boiled down to like second verse, same as the first. But the aesthetic is kind of what does it for me personally. I mean, like I said, this is a series of puzzles. And I think once you understand the terms that the dungeon wants you to play on, it's actually a lot of fun. Yeah. Do you remember what the boss key looks like? You always ask me what the boss key looks like. This is the (laughs) first time I feel like I remember what the boss key looks like. Do you remember this one? I I do. It's shaped, it's like a little sculpture shaped like like a squid, right? Mm Mm-hmm. It's a squid and it's got an eyeball right in the center of it. Yep. It's very Kraken-y. Yeah. Now, why is that, Chris? Why does it look like that? Yeah, it's almost like the boss key summons the boss itself. Mm, I'm glad that you pitched that theory, Chris, because otherwise I have no idea what spurs this, okay? We're just cutting right to the boss fight, right? Like we're going straight to it. A transition as abrupt as it is in the game itself, yes. We (laughs) enter the boss door and it's just like suddenly night. Which I don't know if it counts as night as much as it is like stormy. Because once once you go outside again, you're going to notice like it's like storming and raining outside. I guess what I mean is like it looks like a blue filter is placed on the level. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a spooky filter. Yeah. And we have these tentacles just breaking through the floor of the ship, uh, which is cool. It's a cool moment. It's a cool set piece. Honestly, this whole thing, it starts off as an, a, a, a huge action set piece because once these holes start popping up with the tentacles, water starts to come in and the ship starts to sink. We're in the past if you couldn't tell by the water, but we start to make our escape out of this place. Wait, are we in the past or are we in the present? Because it's all like broken up wood. It's water, though. Like, water is coming in. Oh, you're in. right, you're right, you're right. I'm sorry, it's the past. You're 100% right. <laughs> it's one of those water seas. <laughs> it's a water ocean. But here's my question. We're going to we're gonna start taking off in a second to escape the sinking ship. But right before we do, I have to ask, what was stopping this from happening? Was it us going into this empty room? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think anything was stopping this from happening, which is why it happened. But, like, what... <laughs> 
what triggered this? What about opening that boss door? Because my assumption with all the chains and everything in the in the present was that the boss was, you know, locked in here. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's for your own safety. But you go in there, the room is empty, and the ship is now being attacked. Like what? What is this? It's almost like if on the Titanic, someone opened a door in the cellar and then suddenly the iceberg spawned in five feet away <laughs> from the boat itself. <laughs> yeah it's just yeah. like what suddenly the icebergs in the center in the ballroom like oh hey i live here yeah so yeah you make your escape you try to make your escape and the the tentacles come through the side of the ship as well at oh, yeah. which point Phi tells you hey you gotta do some goddess strikes or something for those things because they're huge they're very large yeah they're big and rubbery you can't cut them to cut through them normally but uh, on our way through, you're going to be, you know, being chased by water, of course, going through all the halls you've seen before. But at points, there's going to be like parts that are taken out of the ship that you're trying to avoid falling through. But also like barrels are tumbling down Donkey Kong style. You got to avoid those. Oh, yeah. For sure. And like the water is rising as you go up each floor, the water rises, making the bottom floors inaccessible. Yeah, this this is what I was saying back in the Ancient Cistern episode a couple episodes ago. This game and this series needs more stuff like this. Like it's not especially difficult, but it is so interesting to have like these very actiony moments going on. You know, agreed. I I agree. Yeah, it's so good. It makes the game so much more cinematic, which honestly the the series deserves at this point. For sure. So yeah, we uh we we make our way back to the main floor of the ship, get back on the deck, and we are confronted with the abyssal leviathan tentalus. Chris, if you had to describe Tentalus in one word, what would it be? So it looks like if you, (laughs) everything about this is like, if you had the crew from Barney the Dinosaur create a monster from God of War. It's like a big (laughs) plushy, like a big huggable Mm -hmm. sea monster. It's got hug quality. It's got hug-like quality. Absolutely. I do appreciate you sticking to what I requested, which was a single word, but... uh... (laughs) Wait, did you say a single word? Yeah, one word. (laughs) Oh, okay. Sorry, I gave you like 17 then. So, okay. So your word might be huggable. Uh, that's... Okay, let's go with it. (laughs) I mean, hey, that goes multiple directions. All those tentacles, pretty Mm. huggable. It'll hug you. It'll hug the heck out of you. Mm-hmm. What what word would you use? Mm, mediocre. <laughs> that doesn't describe anything. The I audience know. has no better a picture. Well, here's the thing. You see all these tentacles as you're making your escape. You already kind of have a picture of what this is going to be, right? Like around this point, we've seen, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, all these other movies that have the, the Kraken and whatnot. Or, you know, maybe you're thinking it's like a Cthulhu or a similarly Cthuloid creature. But you get up here and it's just a big, pale, doughy peanut man with one Cyclops eye. I'm telling you, this thing is straight out of Barney. And he's got tentacles, big old doughy tentacles. He's got like kind of sharp teeth. But at the end of the day, in the whole picture of it, it is not scary at all, despite its gargantuan size. It looks like if Cthulhu was the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. It's interesting because you're 100% right, but no other boss in the game is presented at such a scale and has such a destructive quality over the level itself, Yeah. yet this thing looks like a Teletubby knockoff. Absolutely. You, like, even before the fight starts, you are on, like, the bare scraps remaining of the boat. Yeah, like I said, like, there's something about the atmosphere of this fight that reminds me of the very first God of War on, like, the PS2. The Hydra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just something similar to that stormy boat vibe and everything's getting destroyed. Mm -hmm. So, like, this thing has a few phases. At first, it goes under the water and it launches its tentacle through the boat at you. Yeah, through the floor. It'll, yeah, it'll launch like five or six through the floor at any given time. And the idea is you want to skyward strike these tentacles, which are coming out vertically. You want to skyward strike them horizontally. 
Or diagonally. I guess or diagonally. Yeah, good point. I found this to be such a pain in the butt on the Wii. But funny enough, this phase is very easy in hero mode because you get the charged up skyward strikes that come almost instantaneously. Like as soon as you point that sword in the air, your skyward strike is almost fully charged. So you can launch those suckers so quick. Man, oh man. Yeah, it's useful. I mean, eventually, if you're not quick on the uptake, these things are going to overrun you. I did get hit a few times by that. They pick you up and they start shaking you in the air and throw you. They give you that good kill shake. So yeah, you cut a few of those tentacles off and the boss comes back out of the water, roars at you and stares at you for a second. And this is like the most frustrating part, I think, also. Like, you have to like hit it in the eye with an arrow. Yeah. Which like it's moving back and forth. So you can't just aim. You have to like kind of predict where its eye is going to be a little bit, which can be a little bit frustrating. And if you take too long, it's going to smack down its tentacle on you. I'm just going to say this, Chris. Uh, yo, what up? One shot each eye. <laughs> okay, fine. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, it, it was kind of, it was a little bit tricky, but it's not that bad. I don't think I had any frustrations the first time playing this boss, but when I did it in boss rush mode and I couldn't refill my hearts, I found this thing, like fighting this thing seventh in a line of bosses was a pain in the butt. That's fair. That's fair. I'll grant you that. So yeah, it's a phase of that. Uh, when you shoot it in the eye, its head falls to the deck. Mm -hmm. and you can like cut through its tentacle hair uh which is fun because then it, it has like a bad haircut for the rest of the fight <laughs> I, you can do that it in my experience it wasn't really necessary like oh, there's it's a completely lot completely not necessary yeah it's better in my opinion to just run through and save that gets get a few extra hits in yeah totally so you're going in there you're hitting the eye uh you're giving it some bangs essentially that's like two phases of the fight and then there's a third phase i think where it like starts breaking the sides off of the ship and then like the ship starts tilting backwards and you actually travel to the top of the ship and basically just do a third phase of shooting the arrow in this thing's eye and smacking yeah, yeah, its eyeball yeah. again. So second verse same as the first, you know. It's kind of, once you're in the flow of it, the fight is pretty much over. I actually, when researching this episode, learned that there are safe spots on the corners of this boss arena. No kidding. Like, on the very corner by the water, where the tentacle won't break up underneath you and grab you. Oh, well, that's nifty. If you're struggling with it, that might be good to know. Uh, there is one other thing that Tentulus does, though, where um, it'll start whipping its uh, hair tentacles at you. And it turns out those ones actually have teeth. Oh, right. Right at the end, it does that. Yeah, but you just swipe them away, right? Oh, yeah. Re easy peasy. Yeah, that's a gross moment, though. It. I feel like with just a little more artistic direction, Tentulus could have been a really dope boss. This thing is like an anime nightmare. It's It looks like a squeaky toy. It looks like those aliens in Toy Story that you squeeze <laughs> yes! and like the head. Yes, that's exactly the feeling. You completely nailed it. <laughs> in any case, once you beat Tentalus, the storm clouds clear, which suggests to me that it was connected to the monster, but who knows. By this point, since you've climbed up from the lower level, you are already right where the sacred flame's going to be. Yeah. This is like the first time that the Guardian pedestal is not in some like sacred area, it feels like, right? I mean, this place might have looked sacred before. It don't now. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, the pedestal arises. We strike it and Fi willingly engulfs herself and dives into the goddess sword. Yeah, she does her whole pinball routine. And with our sword enhanced, we're headed back to learn a new melody at the Isle of Songs, and then we are off to get Din's Flame at the Fire Sanctuary. Well, don't we also say our goodbyes to Skipper before we go? Oh, we do. I don't have any notes around that. Do you remember what that conversation's like? I remember very, very little. I, I think it just suggests that the surviving crew members fixed the boat up because the boat is there later. Oh, yeah, for sure. You can you can reaccess the boat later in the game. Because, and Skipper says, yeah, we fixed the boat up since then. Super service. for that, That's... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, that's a great way to allow you to get the treasures, the heart pieces and whatnot that you may have missed the first time. Appreciated. Confusing, but appreciated. And I'm glad there's not an overly grim end for our special little robot. Well, apart from the fact that he is now tethered for life to this time shift boat. Yeah, apart from that. <laughs> 
Okay, so Pete's points, number two. Congratulations, you made it. The question is, where did those boat pieces come from over at the Pirate Stronghold mm -hmm. if the boat in the present is still in one piece, right? Right. That's the question we asked at the top of the episode. So we just watched as the boat was destroyed, yes? To an extent. That's the boat. That is the that is the boat that we saw. Some time travel shenanigans happened because we were shifting back and forth with Tentalis and everything. And that boat that got wrecked, it got drifted over time over to uh, where the pirate stronghold is. Oh, I kind of like that. But I mean, it doesn't it's not like, again, the fact that <laughs> in the present, the boat exists there. That's not like a few weeks ago. There's not like the far past, the immediate past and the present. But here's the thing. The boat was destroyed in the past. But it still exists there in the present. Because it was fixed. It was fixed also in the present over time and whatnot. Whoa, 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 whoa. I finally put the pieces together. <laughs> I like it. That's, so, that's the best we're going to get. Yes, I agree. I think this is... I And hey, you know, any chrono masters out there who know better than I do with how this would work, the mechanics, drop, drop us that sweet knowledge in a five-star rating over on Apple Podcasts. Truly shameless stuff. <laughs> But wait, why is it in the bottom of the sea? It's it's time travel shenanigans, Chris. But there's a ripple effect. Uh, okay, fair enough. It's, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that does it for this dungeon. Honestly, I, I dig this place a lot. Yeah. It's uh, more for me the aesthetic of the dungeon more than the actual mechanics of it. You know, I like a little bit more combat in my dungeons than puzzles, but I dug it. Yeah, I think it's a good one. I think this one ages better than some of the other dungeons. Yeah. Um, even if first impressions are a little bit rocky. So, oh, am I on the hook for pitching? You are. Okay, let me take a sip from my Ganondorf glass and I will give it my best shot. Welcome to Sandship Cruise Lines, my friend. This is, as you can tell, a luxuriously large pleasure cruise out here on the Great Sand Sea of Lanayru. Step aboard the Lido deck, hand your bags over to our helpful robo-baby crew, and we will set sail for relaxation. <laughs> so, robo-baby crew, that's interesting. I just want to make sure there's no uh, exploitation of baby robots on this cruise cruise line. Is oh, there? no, no. That's just the brand name, sir. If you look under their uh, little bow ties, the, the, the wait staff, you can tell they have uh, that branding on their chassis. Okay. So I have another question. I like to go on cruises with my hundred-year-old grandma. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and my hundred-year-old grandma has uh, this affliction. Whenever she's on a cruise, she tends to wake up in the middle of the night and just start throwing jewelry off of the side of the boat. She starts saying, I'll be with you soon, Jack. I don't know. We just humor her. Let her do it. I just want to make sure, are there protective guardrails on the sides of this ship that will uh, make it so that my grandma can't throw herself into the waters? Uh, better than that, we have a full guard crew uh, constantly keeping tabs. If you request that uh, they keep an eye on your dear, sweet grandmama, then uh, they will do so. I can have a robo-baby buddy for my grandma. Yes, exactly. Everybody, for just a small added fee, you can have one assigned to you that will escort you throughout uh, your entire stay. So I have another question. My hundred-year-old grandma sometimes needs to leave her room suddenly and stretch her legs. Otherwise, she gets these crazy gout flare-ups from eating too much fried araka. Oh. Can you guarantee me that there won't be any massive sand pits waiting right outside of her room? Absolutely. I can absolutely 100% guarantee that. Especially during our special nighttime, daytime hours, which we will be sending the ship through time to when this delightful sand sea, it was a, a lush blue ocean. Oh, very nice. All right, I have one last question. How sturdy is the wood in this ship? Am I going to have to worry about my grandma falling and breaking her hip every time a tentacle-laden kraken attacks the ship? I know it's a very specific question, but we have done a lot of cruises, and you would be surprised how many krakens are out there. Not quite sure what you mean about tentacles, sir, unless you were referring to our world-class calamari bar, which... <laughs> 
I don't think you'll have anything to worry about there. Oh, great. So what, what you're telling me is essentially you have done nothing to prepare for the tremendous creatures that are out there in the sea. Okay, fair enough. I'll have to just keep that in consideration when I'm factoring my score. <laughs> How much, how much does the paranoia of this uh, guest factor into the rating, Chris? I think any traveler in this world only benefits from being incredibly paranoid about the state of the world. That's how I like to relax. 100%. All right. So I'm, I'm texting my grandma oh, the details. I forgot. Make sure you tell grandma about the zip lines. We have great zip lines that we have all across the ship. It's, it's okay. uh, state of the art. I'm letting my grandma know about the zip lines. Okay, my grandma says that sounds rad as heck. <laughs> I'm asking her to give me a number score between one and five. Grandma says this is a 3.75 out of five. grandma, that's rough. That's pretty rough, grandma. Listen, grandma is a tough critic. 3.75 might as well be a five out of five. Hmm, I suppose that's, I mean, you know what? She's got a lot of notches on her belt. She's probably seen a lot of cruises. She has. No, you know what? That's not too far off from what I think, actually. I would probably give it something like a four, but like just to try and be objective, I would go down to a 3.5. Yeah, I mean, 3.5, 3.7, they're both good scores. Like You could do a lot worse. C's get degrees, my man. C's get degrees, yeah. Um. So yeah, I guess with the ratings out of the way, it's time to move on to the postcard section. Uh, we got two in since our last episode. Yes. Do you want to take this first one? May I please? You may. Firstly, we have Krisk from the US. Uh, best podcast, no doubt. I'm making my way through Lanera Mining Facility right now, and this podcast is the only motivation I have to exercise. Thanks for keeping me fit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. First of all, the idea that someone is exercising while listening to us is like, it's energizing me. The the fact I love, I listen to podcasts like all day, like chores, commute, everything. So like the, the very idea that people will be listening to us, you know, during their busy day is kind of an honor. It's exciting. And I think we should take a second to quip a couple of times for Chris who is probably listening to us right now and running on a treadmill or lifting like a thousand dumbbells at once. Okay, uh, why not? You can do it! All right! Pump those irons! Yes, and, and if you're running? Oh man, Sonic's got nothing on you! They're right behind you! Leave me behind! Save yourself! It was an honor just to be your friend! <laughs> So I hope that helps, Chris. And thank you. Thank you for writing in. Thank you for that. That's like super fun and exciting. And now we have the second one here from Midnight Galloper from Australia, uh, who says, absolutely awesome Legend of Zelda podcast, a completely unique, informative and entertaining take on the franchise. Can't wait for the Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask and Breath of the Wild seasons. Ooh, Thanks, guys. That's first off. I agree. Can't wait for those seasons. Those are going to be fun. Yeah, Midnight Galloper. I am psyched for any of those games. Second thing, our first non-US review, Chris. I, I mean, I th I'm assuming that, but we don't have 100% certainty about... Our, our first non-US review as far as I'm aware, Chris. <laughs> Absolutely. We did it. We got there. <laughs> That's extremely exciting. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh... I'm, I'm honestly both Crisk and Midnight Galloper. Thank you guys so much. It is extremely energizing just to get that kind of feedback from y'all. Yeah, we love hearing this sort of stuff. It's super kind of you to take your time and leave these reviews. And Pete, if other people want to send postcards in, where can they do it? Oh, well, you can shoot us a postcard in either of two ways. The first of which is to shoot us an email over at HyrulePod at gmail.com. Uh, the other way is to drop us a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. Any postcards sent our way, uh, we'll go ahead and read them here on the show. Yeah, so if you've got any uh, input to anything we may have mentioned in the episodes, if you want to tell us how you think something tastes, if you want to tell us what a boss design looks like to you, um, <laughs> we would love to read that sort of stuff. All of that is very fun to hear about. Yeah, um, so Chris, if the fine folks out there want to uh, reach out to us in other ways, where can they do that? So we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at Hyrule Pod. Separately, you can find us individually on Twitter 
My handle is at a man named Babs, B-A-B-S. And you can find me on Twitter at the edge of my Pete. All right. So next episode, we're probably going to be hitting two different places at once. We're going to be going like a small bit of Elden Volcano and then on to the fire sanctuary. Yep. Yeah, we're not doing like a two part, you know, lead up to the dungeon and dungeon episode. This is kind of a quicker one. So we're going to try to tackle it all in one app. If you played, if you've played Skyward Sword, I think you know why. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that has been Hello Hyrule. Until next time, I have been Pete. I have been Chris. Excuse me, podcast. All right, Chris, you got to walk the plank. No, what? Wait. Nope, you're already standing on the edge, man. Like, you're prepped. You gotta go. I let my guard down for two seconds. Is this because I drank matcha tea tonight? Here, I'll, I'll help you out here. Ah!